You've lived a great life and done well for yourself. But what mark will you leave on the world? How will you inspire future generations? Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand have helped thousands of people answer exactly those questions. If you've ever wondered, what will be my legacy? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Stan and Katie Beth. Welcome to the Legacy Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Stan Miller. Joining me today is attorney Andre Regard. Andre, welcome. Thanks for having me, Stan. I'm happy to be here today. Andre, we have a lot to talk about. You know, it, it may take longer than the 30 minutes that I usually block out for these conversations. You know, just as I've learned more and more about your background, there's just more and more interesting stuff I want to drill into. But first, you tell me a little bit about yourself. And what I would like to do really first is, you know, at, at some point, I want to get into the law firm, the law practice, because I know you have, a, you have a litigation practice and a business practice, but you're also involved in, you know, some... Uh, you have some business interests. You represent clients that own businesses. You're in some family businesses of your own. And I think you bring a, a really interesting and maybe even a unique perspective to that. You know, this is, you know, the Legacy Leaders podcast. And our conversations, we have guests on. Conversations are, you know, really centered around this whole idea of legacy. And you have a lot to say about that. So tell me, just first, just Tell me some of the things that you're involved in. I know you're in the bourbon business. You've got some other things going. Pretty fascinating stuff. Sure. Well, I grew up in South Louisiana and went to college and law school in Washington, D.C. I went to Georgetown University. And then when I graduated, I was in the Navy. And I know, Stan, you and I were talking about the service your son's done in the Navy. And I'm sure everybody appreciates that. I spent five and a half years in the nuclear Navy as a contracting officer on buying propulsion plants for aircraft carriers and submarines. And I uh, met a young lady whose family was in the thoroughbred business. And Kentucky is the center of the thoroughbred breeding industry worldwide. So I moved here in 1999. Here is Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm kind of a, a person that likes to experience where I live. Growing up in South Louisiana, of course, I was a duck hunter and a cook and, you know, did a lot of fishing and all those sorts of things. So in Kentucky, I got involved in horses and actually for almost 10 years, I didn't practice law. I just was in the horse breeding business, advising people on investments in the horse business, doing syndications, owning breeding stock and whatnot. And then around 2010, started focusing on developing my practice, originally doing a lot of equine law, so helping other people in the horse business, both thoroughbreds, which we mainly have here in Kentucky, but also other breeds around the world, really, Arabians and hunter jumpers and Olympic-type horses. But So I slowly built my practice around that. And then a few years ago, I had a client who came to me who wanted to start a bourbon company. And he told me that He's a state politician, and somebody had shown him an old label that said Kentucky Senator Bourbon. So he wanted to revive the label. So I said, look, you know, I'll be a partner with you rather than you paying me to do the legal work and helping to put together the investment package. So we started Kentucky Senator Bourbon, and we were able to trademark the name because it had gone into disuse. So we now own the name Kentucky Senator Bourbon. So we set up a company to hold the name. 
And then we got some investors to invest to help us start doing our releases. And when you're in the bourbon business, you're either a distiller or you're what's called a non-distiller producer, NDP. So we don't have a distillery. So if you're not a distillery, you can buy bourbon. Either you can contract with somebody to make it or you can buy it on the wholesale market. So we were fortunate to be able to acquire a number of barrels on the wholesale market. And we did our first release in 2022. And each of our releases is named after a different senator from Kentucky, a U.S. senator. And part of that is built in that our releases can have different flavor profiles because each one has a unique color pattern. The label is kind of the same, but the back has one of those kind of Wall Street Journal pencil portraits of this senator. Kentucky has 62 deceased senators. Our only two living senators are our current senators. Every other senator from Kentucky's deceased. The importance of that is in order to use a living person's name, you have to get their permission. So we have 62 choices of names of people that are deceased. And uh, we've done three releases now. And they've, they've all sold out. We've gotten some great recognition. And it's been a blast. I mean, you know, why not be in the, in the bourbon business? One of the things it's done is it's also allowed our practice. What started as kind of a whim for me, we've developed into a full-fledged portion of our practice now. Not only, I had worked with some restaurants and bars a little bit more on the operational side, but now we do liquor licensing work throughout the state. We help new companies. We represent various distributors and retailers, and it's been awesome. It's been a lot of fun. So when we were talking uh, you know, earlier, Andre, about representing businesses you know, the, and the role that you play in the business of encouraging businesses to have family meetings, I want you to speak to that some, because I, I know you're doing that for some businesses you're involved in. You're also doing that for you know, your helping clients, you know, do that as well. So you know, tell me about how, how that works. Sure. So there's kind of two aspects. I'll talk about the family meeting aspect first, and then I think that just leads directly into the idea of just corporate meetings. So, you know, Stan, when you inquired or asked me about being on this podcast, and I thought to myself, well, this is all about estate planning and legacy planning. And I'm really a transactional lawyer litigator. And I was trying to figure out, well, you know, where do I fit into this? And the more I thought about it and thought about what we do, I realized that a lot of what we do is about legacy planning. It's about making sure that these organizations, whether they're businesses, family-owned businesses, or closely held, are doing the right steps that they need to do to make sure that their businesses are around. So one of those things that I've had personal experience with and have encouraged clients that are family-owned is the idea of a family meeting, the idea that you're going to get together you know, one day a year, often meet somewhere neutral, especially as families grow. It's usually a couple of days, maybe one day is a social day, but then you're going to have a family meeting. And at that meeting, at least the ones that we're involved in, usually the first half of the day is related to whatever family business brought that family together. So maybe it was a business that a parent started or a grandparent and somebody, and they've passed away or they're still alive, but they know there's another generation coming up. So it's an opportunity to discuss what is this family business doing 
and what are the expectations of family members? Not only what does the business expect them to be involved in, but in some cases, there are family members who aren't going to be involved in the business, and they may have some input or, or some knowledge of what's happening. So we kind of spend that first half of the day talking about these family interests and a little bit about family succession. If there's an older parent, you know, what's this going to look like when dad passes away? So that we're all not sitting there in that very vulnerable stage of grief, trying to figure out who's going to make this decision, what are we going to do, and those sorts of things. And we also talk about some more practical things like, you know, Hey, there's a house full of furniture there. You know, what are people's expectations? Because those are the kind of fights that nobody, you know, they're not enjoyable. Nobody wants to do them. It's at a stressful time. And let's try to talk about it ahead of time. It makes for an easier transition, I believe. The second part of it that we try to do in the afternoon is not so much focused on the family business, but an opportunity just for the family members to understand what they're all doing in their own businesses, in their own lives, updates on children, on relationships, update because spouses and children are not invited. It's direct blood members during the day, during the meeting. So it's just a chance to connect, to find out what other people are doing. And what we have found is sometimes you may not know you had a sibling that was doing something in particular, and, and you learn and you say, hey, I didn't know you were doing that, brother. And Here's an idea. We also get a facilitator. And we've used, uh, in our own instance, we've used the same facilitator for a number of years. But somebody that can press the issues, uh, often that facilitator will ask questions ahead of time, will provide information to that facilitator. I mean, he really earns, he earns his keep. And he comes to the meeting, he keeps it moving along, he set up an agenda, and he knows the things we're going to talk about. So I think that's important you know, from a family point of view, we don't really talk about estate planning there, but I think I've had a chance to know you, Stan. Maybe we need to start adding some more of that. But that also leads into another thing, which is corporate meetings. So the family meeting certainly plays a role for that family, and it's a kind of corporate meeting. But as a transactional lawyer who over a number of years has helped people set up business, it's kind of the classic question, I want to set up a business. Can you set up my LLC? You know, we do that. Hey, we're going to be the registered agent. We set it up. And then we hope that client calls us back to do things here and there. But, you know, there's a couple of reasons we set up corporate entities. One is there may be some tax advantages. But the second and main reason that most people kind of walk into the door with is I want to set this up for protection from liability. Well, if you're not doing your corporate formalities, then that's one of the first things that you're going to get attacked on. So I'm also a litigator. And, you know, piercing the corporate veil is always a big issue. And what I realized is nobody was really providing that corporate secretary service, I guess you would call it, where we're telling the client, look, we'll be your registered agent. We charge you a couple hundred bucks a year just to make sure that we, you know, make sure your annual report's filed and we're going to be listed. But that's not really enough. We're going to charge you X. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure that you have an annual meeting. We're going to put an agenda together for you. We're going to set up the meeting for you. We're going to make sure that even if you're a sole member and you're the only person at the meeting, that the meeting actually happens, it's recorded, 
it's put into a minutes book. But as we started to do this, we've also realized is that's an opportunity for those businesses to step back. So let's try to actually make this a useful. Let's not just pretend we're doing it. Let's actually really do it. And let's talk about, you know, do you have your insurance in place? Has your business grown? Do you need more insurance? What are you doing for your succession planning? What are you doing if there's other family members involved? And documenting that and really using it as a chance for that business to kind of step back and say, I'm going to take a pause for a day or a half a day and look at what I'm doing. I think it's good for corporate formalities, and I also think it's good for corporate health. So we've just started doing this over the last couple of years, but I think as we explain it to clients, we get a little bit of pushback at first, but it's like it's like all the other planning people need to do. You need to do it. And if it's not to protect you if you get sued down the road, it's also helping you set up your corporation either to pass along to your family or to sell it. I mean, everybody's about build to sell. And I've had a number of, of transactional engagements where we have clients who are going to sell their business, but they don't have corporate books. They don't have minutes. They don't have resolutions. And all that stuff has to be created. And you can do that. You can create it. But if I've got to create it at the last minute, just like if I'm not thinking about succession, and death until the last minute. It's a much more expensive process. It's time sensitive. There's a lot of other things that go into it. So what I think, part of what I think we're doing is we're helping put all those pieces in place so that if you go to sell your business or if you're going to put a succession plan in place, you actually know what the guideposts are and you have a plan put together. You know, you've heard this, there's there's an old expression that goes something like uh, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And I did some homework on that and found that, that there are, there's an equivalent of that expression in at least 12 or 13 languages. You know, and there's a Japanese phrase that says rice patties to rice patties in three generations. You know, so one thing I know, and, and I'm sure you've had this experience too, is that a family business or a family farm, I think maybe this is even more true if it's a family farm, but a family business or a family farm is for so many of our clients, it is the legacy, right? This is, they've invested their, you know, their heart and soul in this and, and their identity is attached to this enterprise. And so the desire they have, although many of them don't really think about it very much, you know, I don't think there are a lot of people helping these guys think about it, but the wish, the wish they have is that this enterprise will survive them. I've said, you know, many times I have clients who are farmers who have this idea, this desire that if they were able to revisit their farm in 500 years, there would be some guy, you know, with his last name driving a John Deere tractor, you know, and so this process you're talking about about having failing meetings and really think getting in front of the succession issue, identifying the the relationship dynamic uh, fracture lines ahead of time and being able to bring professionals in to the conversation to hopefully 
get that healed up or patched up or at least get a strategy figured out around how to deal with it means that whenever that inevitable you know, passing does occur of the senior generation business owner, that, that there's a game plan in place. And, there, and so what we do is we really improve you know, the likelihood that this thing can last way beyond three generations. There are, you know, there are black swans out there that prove that it can be done. Doesn't happen that often, but it happens often enough that we know it is possible. And I think the secret to it is doing exactly what you're doing and getting, you know, sitting down with these people, getting structure and process in place, and just insisting that they think about it and get in front of those issues. Those are the issues that would cause the, the business to implode or to, you know, to have to sell it to someone, whatever, but certainly to not survive beyond you know, the third generation. So that's interesting. That, so that's a part of your practice. It is. And one of the things I've realized is a lot of these parts of what we call estate planning happen in silos. So people have their, they have their estate planning attorney who's setting up trust and setting up those types of protection vehicles. And then they've got their financial planner who's maybe handling non-business related assets. And maybe they're talking a little bit of, about insurance with them, but they aren't really talking too much about life insurance. They're talking more about annuities and things. And then they've got some corporate lawyer over here. But if your asset is your business, I mean, if there's a business involved, those people all need to be talking. You know, you're going to have to decide who's going to run the business, who's going to stay involved in the business, who's not going to be involved in the business. You don't want that uninvolved person to say, well, I want my equity out of the business because that could throw a real big wrench into it. So if there are going to be family members who aren't going to be involved, how are they going to feel fairly compensated by dad or mom in their estate when somebody passes such that they're not going to end up suing the family business? which kills the family business. It's disruptive. And they're satisfied. It felt like they've been heard. So part of what we try to do with these meetings is bring these, figure out who these other main advisors are and try to have them at the table too. So everybody's talking a little bit rather than not talking at all. Yeah. And, and when they do, you know, the solutions are really there. You know, the I mean, you know, some of the problems you identified just have life insurance written all over it, right? You know, if you have family members that really don't want to have an ongoing role in the business, but you have a senior generation that loves his children equally, you know, he loves the kid that's involved in the business, but he also loves the kid that wants to be a doctor and go to work at the Mayo Clinic or whatever. So you have to find a way to be, be fair to everybody, and figuring out what that is sometimes involves getting insurance products so that you can effectively cash out the family member that doesn't want to really be involved in the ongoing operation. So there are all kinds of solutions, but you have to do what you're talking about, which is get in front of it, identify the problem while you have that window of opportunity to really do something about it. So yeah, I think that's terrific that you're involved in. I didn't, you know, before I got to know you a little better, I didn't realize, you know, I kind of thought of you as a litigator, but what you're describing there is not so much litigation as maybe litigation prevention. Well, we do transactional work here. I was mainly, when I first started practicing, I was doing a lot of transactional work, but I am a litigator at heart. And that kind of you know goes also to the whole legacy idea because 
you know, as a litigator, when I think of the legacy question, as a litigator, I am normally dealing with somebody who's having the worst day of their life. When they come to see me, I want that to be their worst day. I want everything to try to be better from that moment. But what's happened? Either it's a business owner. A lot of our litigation is business related. So we have a business owner who is getting sued or kind of our bread and butter are business owners who've been locked out of their business for some reason. They're in a partnership and they've had a partnership dispute. So they don't have access to the checkbook. They don't have access to any of the operational information. And they come to our firm. I was a CPA before I was a lawyer. So they come to the firm. We can evaluate the business, try to understand what the business is, try to understand the value of the business. And then often we'll represent that person on a contingency basis to help preserve for that person their legacy that they've built for a number of years. You know, and this goes all the way back to the corporate structure or the corporate meetings we were talking about earlier. A lot of times these business disputes come up because of a lack of corporate structure, a lack of meetings, a lack of documentation, all those sorts of things that you ought to be doing that they don't do and then realize, oh my gosh, we don't have an operating agreement. We don't have, I'm not on the bank account because we opened up a new bank account three years ago and I told Jimmy just to go do it because I was out of town and I never got on it and we don't have an operating agreement. So, you know, from a litigation point of view, business litigation, we feel like we're doing a lot to help preserve those types of companies or you're a construction company and you have a, a bet the business type of construction. What can we do to help you in those cases? And then, of course, we also do do some personal injury where, once again, you know, you're living your life, you're taking care of your family, you're providing for your family, you're hoping to create wealth for your family, and all of a sudden this tragedy has come and you've been injured. It's not your fault. Somebody else has done it. And what can we do to help those folks, to help preserve either a lifestyle or a legacy for that, for that family moving forward? So I want to shift gears to another kind of legacy. And I noticed from your resume that you have uh, seven children. Correct. Yeah, that's quite a legacy. You know, I'm, I'm interested. I mean, you're you're still a fairly young guy, and so you have a lot of career left, but you've been doing this for a while. And so I'm getting kind of the sense of our conversation that you may have accreted you know, a, a fair amount of wisdom along the way. I'm really curious, you know, if your children came to you or one of your children came to you and just said, Dad, you know, talk to me, you know, give me some advice, give me some perspective based on your life experience, what you've learned out there in the, you know, in the larger business world, what would be the insider wisdom that you would share with that child that you think might really make an impact going forward? That's a great question. I think I would say, look, you need to show up, first of all. You need to spend your life showing up because if you don't show up, you're never going to know what's going on. So you need to show up and you need to be prepared to listen and observe see what's happening, see what people are doing. Networking, I believe, is the single most important thing in the world. Get to know people, follow up with them. You think the world's a big place. The more people you know, the smaller it gets. You'll be shocked how you'll go somewhere a thousand miles away and see somebody and start a conversation if you're an active networker. And, you know, it's not six degrees of separation. It's two degrees of separation. Yeah. And 
when you meet people, be kind, be patient, and leave an impression with them that you're a likable person that they can come to and get to know and talk to. And then I think you can accomplish a lot. I think you need to always be open-minded to the people that you see. If somebody's rude to you, you don't know what kind of day that person's had. Always give them the benefit of the doubt. Always be open and willing to engage. And I think you'll have a good life. That sounds like good advice to me. Andre, we could talk all day. We really could. Uh, but in the last minute or so, are there any questions I didn't ask or any wisdom or other insight that you would be inclined to share? I think we've covered a lot of it. I appreciate being on the show. I've listened to a number of your other podcasts and I was kind of nervous about what we would talk about because a lot of people have some pretty particular things they're doing, either on the marketing side or the networking side. But I'll go back to networking. We didn't really talk about it. One of the things that I run with my brother is a mail order business. And Stan, I know you told me your son's involved in the coffee mail order business. That you know, That's all part of networking. My brother, his name is J.D., J-A-D-Y, it's a family name. You know, He goes to conferences and he talks to people about the importance of gifting and about the relationship that it creates. And I think it goes back to the idea of networking. It goes back to kind of, if you want to be successful in business, people have to like you. And they're going to like you if you engage them. Find out what's happening in their lives. Find out what they're doing. Ask them questions. And then not only will you learn stuff, but you'll find that people enjoy being around you. Great. You're an inspiration. I'm enjoying this time. I truly have. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for listening to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast with Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about Stan and Katie Beth, go to PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. You can also find links in the show notes.